You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratun Nabawiya, the prophetic biography. In the last few, quite a few sessions, we were covering in detail, in depth, the major event of the life of the Prophet sallallahu which is referred to as the event or the journey of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, the journey by night from Mecca to Jerusalem and then the ascension above the heavens. In the previous session, we not only concluded our discussion on the Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, but we also talked about the immediate aftermath, which was the obligation, the making of the five times daily prayer mandatory, and how Jibreel came to the Prophet and then walked him through all the timings and the procedures of the five daily salawat. What this leads us to now is a very critical juncture in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And that was that the Prophet ﷺ, having received this, this boost, this motivation, this inspiration, this recharge. Um, and you know, one, I've talked about in detail at length about why the in incident of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, why the journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj was so strategic at the time when it occurred. But we've focused on what happened before it and why it was necessary and it was perfect at that particular time because of what had transpired before it from the passing of his wife and his uncle and then the, the journey uh, to the city of Ta'if and the hardship that he endured after that. But another... You know, perspective is that the journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj was also perfect in its timing because of what was coming after it. And that's not just the five times daily obligatory prayer. That's not a challenge. That's a gift. That's a blessing. But what was coming after the journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj was a huge transitionary phase. We're now basically the city of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ had exhausted 12 years of effort. I want everyone to chew on that for a second. 12 years. We work for 12 days on a project and we wonder why it's not working. Somebody who works 12 weeks on a project is, you know, a warrior. And then if things aren't working out, we just completely give up. 12 months, a year? Forget about it. The Prophet ﷺ has been working on the project of Mecca for 12 years. And still, Mecca is as opposed to the Prophet ﷺ as ever. The violence, the aggression, the opposition is at its peak, worse than it's ever been before. So the Prophet ﷺ was at this stage where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's next instruction to the Prophet ﷺ was going to be to look outside of Mecca and take this message to somewhere outside of Mecca. Now I want, I'm going to put everything on the table because I really want us to understand. My, my, my motivation and my, object, my objective with this series on the life of the Prophet ﷺ has been very clear from the very beginning. And that is for us to really understand. And how this can serve as a roadmap, a blueprint for us in our 
not just living lives as a Muslim, but in our endeavor of building and establishing, you know, a community, in contributing to the ummah, in spreading the deen of Allah. So let's take everything into consideration. Let's talk about it from a very contemporary, current business type, you know, business-minded perspective. If you want to take a product that you have and extend it to other markets, if you want to establish a franchise, if you want to establish satellite locations, you want to grow whatever you're doing. I hate to refer to it as a business because we're here talking about da'wah ilallah. We're talking about the message of the Prophet ﷺ, but I'm talking about our situation. If you have a project, even a project, a non-profit project, a community project, let alone a business, Alright? And you want to expand this, you want to take this to other communities, you want to, you know, take your curriculum to another school, you want to franchise your business, you want to branch out in satellite. The, the, one of the necessary things that you have to have in order to make that feasible, viable, make that likely, give it a chance, the first thing someone's gonna ask you is, what have you achieved and accomplished so far? And if you have one location, or one project, or one school, or whatever the case is, they want to see how successful you've been. They want to see how that project has gone. Do you have a case study? Do you have a successful pilot program? Do you have... They want to see what you've produced so far. Now it's not to say the Prophet ﷺ hadn't produced something. There are a couple of hundred believers. That's a big deal. A couple of hundred people's akhirah has been changed. Their lives have been affected and changed. And these aren't a couple of, uh, a couple of hundred ordinary people. These are a couple of hundred sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. The best of mankind to ever grace the face of the earth after the anbiya, after the Prophet ﷺ. A people about whom Allah says, radiallahu anhum wa radu an. Alright? However, having said that, from an outsider's perspective, a non-believer's perspective, they're gonna wanna see how successful you've been. And if Makkah is the way that it is, it's completely opposed and violence and oppression and, you know, opposition is at its peak, they're, try, they're plotting and planning on a daily basis on how to kill us and assassinate the Prophet wasallam. Is that gonna make a very strong case? For why you should accept and you should take on this project? Why you should become a partner in this endeavor, in this project? Will that make a very strong case? You go to get into business with somebody else, you know, and you sit down with your books and you're completely in the red. That's not going to convince them. You have a curriculum at your school and you go to somebody else's school and you say, well, we have a cup, we have, you know, we have 200 students, 20 of them are just unbelievably excelling. The other ones, they're not doing so great. Is that going to convince them? But nevertheless, that was the job of the Prophet ﷺ at this point. He had no choice. The command from Allah, the, ver the, 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 the instruction from Allah, was that you have to take this message now and extend it to people outside of Makkah. Present it to other communities, present it to other cities, and tell them not only to believe in Islam, no, 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 not just believe in Islam, that's very important. But along with believing in Islam, they have to take on this project, this mission, this endeavor, and they have to become your partners in this da'wah. That's the task at hand. Now, that's a very overwhelming task. 
<clears throat> and in fact, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but Aisha radiallahu taala anha asked the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam once. You know, in the in especially for some of the younger and the later Sahaba, you know, from the Medinan period, the most vivid memory they had of maybe the most difficult day in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was the day of Uhud, the Battle of Uhud, when he himself was injured and bled and lost a couple of teeth. And his uncle was not only killed and assassinated, but mutilated. His body was mutilated, disfigured. More than 70 Sahaba fell on that day. Close friends and companions and students and followers of the Prophet ﷺ. It was a very difficult day. So she asked him, was any day more difficult for you than the day of Uhud? In one of the narrations, the Prophet ﷺ said, that day when I went out to your people, to the people, and I, and I presented the message to them From tribe after tribe People after people Tent after tent And one after another They rejected me They pushed me away They, they, were, they insulted me They were rude with me they, they disrespected me And I spent the whole day doing this Day after day I did this That was extremely difficult so this was the challenge that was awaiting the Prophet ﷺ. So we see the beauty of Al-Isra Mi'raj and its timing was not only was it coming after a very difficult time, but it was coming before an extremely difficult task. And it was to prepare the Prophet ﷺ to provide the inspiration, the charge, the motivation to go forward and be able to take this task head on. So now we are at that basic place where the Prophet ﷺ the season of Hajj arrives. And the narration which is mentioned is that Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, كَانَ نَبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ سَلَمُ يُعْرِضُ نَفْسَهُ عَلَى النَّاسِ فِي الْمَوْقَفِ وَيَقُولُ أَلَى رَجُلٌ أَلَى رَجُلٌ يَعْرِضُ عَلَيَّ قَوْمَهُ فَإِنَّ قُرَيْشٍ قَدْ مَنَاعُونِي أَنْ أُبَلِّغَ كَلَامَ رَبِّي he said that the Prophet ﷺ went out in, at the season of Hajj to the field of Mina, to the Mawqaf, to the place. And he said that, is there any man that will take me to his people? Is there any man that will introduce me to his people? Because Quraysh has forbidden me, has stopped me, prevented me from delivering the message of my Lord. They've, they've, they've made it very, very difficult. So is there anyone that will take me and introduce me? will make introductions so I can talk to their people. He's just out there asking. Can you imagine what that's like? How difficult that would be. In another narration, in notes about the Prophet رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ يَطُوفُ عَلَى النَّاسِ فِي مَنَازِلِهِمْ I saw the Messenger of Allah who was lit, the word used is tawaf, meaning he was just going around, stopping at every single home, every single tent, every single campsite of every single group of people and visiting them. And qabla an yuhajira ila al-Madina, this is before the migration to Medina. And he would say to them, Ya ayyuhan nas, inna Allah ya'murukum an ta'buduhu wa la tushiriku bihi shay'a. O mankind, O humanity, God, Allah has commanded you to only worship Him, and He has forbidden you from associating any partners to Him. Some of the, وَقَالَ وَرَاءُهُ رَجُلٌ يَقُولُ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ And behind him there was a man. 
So as the Prophet so I want you to get the visual, I want you to get the image. The Prophet is going at every tent, requesting permission to enter, to speak with the people there. He's stopping at every single gathering of people, kind of seeking permission and entering into the gathering and presenting this message. But behind him, everywhere he goes, following him around, trailing him, is a man who says, Ya ayyuhannas, O people, inna hadha ya'murukum an deena abaikum. Oh mankind, oh people, this guy right here, in the Hava, doesn't even dignify him with the proper address. This guy, this man, this dude right here, he tells you to leave the religion of your forefathers. So this man narrating the story, he says, I asked, who is this man following Muhammad around, sallallahu alayhi wa Who is this man following him around, you know, Basically sabotaging him and contradicting him. Fakila Abu Lahab. It was Abu Lahab. So even this is it was already difficult to go there and just present yourself like this before the people. But on top of that, they continued to make it more difficult by following around and sabotaging his efforts. The Ibn Ishaq mentions in his Sirah, Zakara Ibn Ishaq Ardahu alayhi salam, Nafsahu ala kinda, wa ala kalb, wa ala bani hanifa, Kala walam yaku ahadum min al Arabi, Akbahu radan alayhim minhum, wa ala bani amir ibn sa'asa. That the Prophet went to uh, the people of Kinda, the b- b- people of Banu Kilab, he went to Abu, uh, the people of Bani Hanifa, he went to all of these people and presented the message and himself to them. None of them from the Arabs were more ugly in their, you know, response to the Prophet ﷺ than these people. One after another, very disrespectfully, in a very, un, you know, unfortunate Fashion. They kept rejecting the Prophet ﷺ, one after another after another. The Prophet ﷺ goes to Banu Abbas, he goes to the people of Ghassan, he goes to Banu Muharib, and they keep rejecting him in this way, in this form. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates from Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, both of them, Go with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the best guy to make introductions. وَكَانَ أَبُو بَكَرْ فِي كُلِّ خَيْرٍ مُقَدَّمًا He was always the one who would excel in doing good deeds. He showed up to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, I'll go with you. So he was always ready and then I went along with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as well. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was very good at making introductions because one of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu's special traits and qualities was that he was was extremely uh, well acquainted, very familiar with the lineages of different people and different families and tribes. So he was very good at making introductions. So the Prophet ﷺ, you know, says to Abu Bakr radiallahu uh, the Prophet, they go to a people, and the Prophet ﷺ says, Mimmanil Qawm, who are who am I speaking to? Who am I seeing here? They said, Min Shayban ibn Tha'laba. فَالْتَفَتَ أَبُوْ بَكَرِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. Abu Bakr turns to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, بِأَبِي أَنْتَ وَأُمِّي يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ May my mother and father be sacrificed for you, O Messenger of Allah. He says, هَأُولَاءِ هُرَرٌ فِي قَوْمِهِمْ You are now looking at, you're talking to the leader of these people. They are the leader of their tribe. وَفِيهِمْ مَفْرُوقُ بْنُ عَمْرِ وَهَانِي بِنْ قُبَيْسَ وَمُثَنَّ بِنْ حَارِثَ وَنُعْمَانُ بْنُ شَرِيكِ 
And he says that these four people that I just named, these four people are the head of the tribe. They're the ones that you have to go through. وَكَانَ مَفْرُوقُ بْنَ عَمَرْ قَدْ غَلَبَهُمْ جَمَالًا وَلِسَانًا And Mafruq bin Amr, he was not only the leader of the people, but he was considered like the most handsome man of his tribe, the most eloquent and well-spoken man from his people. The narration even describes him, وَكَانَتْ لَهُ غَدِيرَةً He had like two long, what we would basically call ponytails. Right, so he had long hair that was like uh, separated into two like locks of hair, and he was a very uh, prestigious man amongst his people. وَكَانَ أَدْنَ الْقَوْمِ مَجْلِسًا مِنْ أَبِي بَكَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَلَانُ And Abu Bakr رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَلَانُ was sitting right next to this man Mafruq. So Abu Bakr رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَلَانُ asks him, كَيْفَ الْعَدَدُ فِيكُمْ What about your numbers? How large is your tribe? So Mafruq says that inna lanazida ala al-alf. We are more than a thousand people in our tribe. Walan tughlab al-alfu min qillatin. And remember, a thousand people in a tribe is a pretty decent number, and we're not very easy to overcome. We're like a pretty large, decent-sized tribe. We hold our own. Abu Bakr radiyallahu taala anhu say, "Kaf al-manaata fiqum?" That how is your strength? Right? How do you defend yourselves? How do you do? And he said, عَلَيْنَا الْجُهْدُ وَلِكُلِّ قَوْمٍ جَدٌ He says that, you know, we're not afraid of, you know, flexing our muscle and people take us very seriously. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that, how have affairs, how have things worked out? How have things fared when you've been in a conflict with another tribe or another people? He says that, إِنَّا لَأَشَدَّ مَا نَكُونُ غَضَبًا حِينَ نَلْقِي وَإِنَّا لَأَشَدَّ مَا نَكُونُ لِقَاءً حِينَ نَغْضَبُ He said that we are, you know, we, we are very fierce when we meet our enemies and we are the most fierce when we meet our enemies when we are really fired up and really passionate and angry about the cause. And وَإِنَّا لَنُؤْثِرَ الْجِهَادَ عَلَى الْأَوْلَادِ وَالسَّلَاعَ عَلَى اللِّقَاحِ we prefer fighting and the sword and weapons to staying home and making babies. Right? We're not, we're not fat, lazy people. We go out there and we'd rather fight than go home and make babies. That's literally what he says. He says that, and he even goes as far as saying that help comes from God. Sometimes we win, sometimes somebody else wins. And then he says that, Aren't you لَعَلَّكَ أَخُو Quraysh? Aren't you from Quraysh? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that أَوَقَدْ بَلَغَكُمْ أَنَّهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Very interesting. He says, aren't you from Quraysh? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu isn't there to talk about himself. He says, have you heard that this is the messenger of God? Immediately transitions the topic over. فَهَاهُوَ This is him right here. And Mafruq says that we have heard about him and what he has to say. So, he addresses the Prophet ﷺ now and he says, What do you have? What do you call us to? What do you call to, O brother of Quraysh? So the Prophet ﷺ said, I call to the fact that there's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one worthy of worship. He is alone and he has absolutely no partners. And I am the messenger of God. He said, I also call to the fact that, uh, that you grant me refuge and that you help me in my cause. 
Because Quraysh have opposed, they have opposed this mission of God, this task that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to me, and they have rejected the messengers of Allah. They have settled for falsehood over truth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely independent and praiseworthy. Allah doesn't need anyone. But I'm here asking you for your help. So Mafruq continues, he says that what else do you call to? What else do you call to? So the Prophet ﷺ understanding that what he's asking, he says, he recites the ayah of the Qur'an, قُلْ تَعَالَوْ أَتْلُ مَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا That come, say O Muhammad, that, I, that come to what I am reciting upon you, that God has forbidden upon you from associating any partners to Him, and وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ يَحْسَنًا And that you are good with your parents. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أُولَادَكُمْ مِنْ إِمْلَاقٍ That you don't kill your children out of fear of poverty. نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكُمْ وَإِيَاهُمْ We will continue to sustain you and we will also take care of your children. وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنَ Do not go near shameless things, whether they be apparent or they be hidden. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ And do not kill any soul that God has forbidden unless it is justified. ذَلِكُمْ وَصَّاكُمْ بِهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained upon you, so that you may develop a relationship with Allah and God consciousness. And so Mafruq says, what else do you call to, O brother of Quraysh? Keeps kind of asking for more. And this shows at least some inclination. فَتَلَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Prophet now recites another ayah of the Qur'an. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِيْتَائِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى Allah commands you for three things. Number one, to establish justice. To excel, to do the best possible ihsan, to strive for excellence. Number three, that you fulfill the rights of family members. And he forbids you from doing three things. And they are shamelessness, reprehensible, like morally reprehensible behavior in your interactions with other people, and baghi, rebelliousness against God. And he got Allah is advising you. So that you may heed the message and realize the truth. فَقَالَ مَفْرُوقَ دَعَوْتَ وَاللَّهِ آخَى قُرَيْشِ إِلَى مَكَارِمِ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَمَحَاسِنِ الْأَعْمَالِ Now Mafruq says something very fascinating. He goes, O brother of Quraysh, I swear to Allah, you have called to very good character and to the best and the most noble and excellent of deeds. وَلَقَدْ أَفَكَ قَوْمٌ كَذَّبُوكَ and the people that have rejected you have done very wrong. It's very unfortunate what these people have done. وَظَاهَرُوا عَلَيْكَ And they have basically attacked you. وَكَأَنَّهُ أَرَادَ أَنْ يَشْرَكَهُ فِي الْكَلَامِ هَانِيُ بْنُ قُبَيْصَ And he basically kind of started to elongate the conversation and kind of turned in such a way that Hani bin Qubaysa, one of the other leaders of this tribe, he kind of get involved in the conversation. Now Hani bin Qubaysa, he, he introduces him and he says, هذا Hani bin Qubaysa, Shaykhuna wa sahibu dinina. This is Hani bin Qubaysa who is one of our elders, our leaders, and he's also a staunch practitioner of our deen, our religion as we practice it today. So Hani says, we heard what you have to say. قَدْ سَمِعْنَا مَقَالَتَكْ يَا أَخَى We heard what you have to say. But he said that what I 
think, what I think is that if we were to leave the religion of our forefathers and to follow you and your, this religion that you present to us because of one meeting that we've had to you and maybe we'll never meet you again before or after this like we've had no other meetings before maybe we never have another meeting again we've just met you this once and if we were to leave our religion and embrace your religion he said that this would be a huge error on our part and this would be very short-sightedness on our part. And he said that because usually people make mistakes when they rush into things and we have a whole tribe, a thousand people that are waiting back for us, we are the leader of those people that trust us. We represent those people. So he said, وَتَرْجِعُ He said, we'll go back to where we came from, how we came, and you go back to where you came from, however you came. وَنَنْظُرُ وَتَنْظُرُ We'll wait things out, we'll see how things go, you see how things wait, work out for you. وَكَأَنَّهُ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَشْرُكَهُ أَنْ يَشْرُكَهُ فِي الْكَلَامِ الْمُثَنَ بْنَ حَارِثَ Then he introduces the next guy. He says, هَذَا مُثَنَّ الْمُثَنَ بْنَ حَارِثَ شَيْخُنَا وَصَاحِبُ حَرْبِنَا Here's Muthanna, who is not only one of our leaders, but he's basically the guy in charge of our military affairs, our conflicts. So he comes into the conversation. He says that, I heard what you have to say, and I have the same response for you that Hani gave to you. I have no other different response for you. And he basically tells the Prophet ﷺ the same thing. He goes on to mention, you know, something else very interesting. He says that we live between two rivers. We live between two streams. He said one stream is that of Yamama and the other is Samama. The Prophet ﷺ says, what, are, what two streams are you talking about? And he says, basically, these are the rivers. We live between two streams. One is of the Arab, Anharu Arab, and the other is of Kisra, the Persians. And because we live so close to Persian territory, we have an agreement with the Persian people. And one thing is that any mistake that we make will not be forgiven by the Persian people. They're, they, they're very, it's very delicate, our relationship with them. They will not forgive us. If we make an excuse, they will not accept it from us. As for the Arabs, we can go back and forth in our dealings with them. That's fine. But... Our relationship with the Persians predicates that we do not change anything in our relationship with them. We don't embrace any new type of religious or political alliance or allegiance. Otherwise, that makes them very uncomfortable. And what you are asking us to do, he says that, huwa mimma takrahuhu al-muluk. The kings of Persia will not appreciate this. If we align ourselves with you, if we join with you, the kings of Persia will not appreciate this. So he says that if you want us to support you, to give you refuge, to help you, but if you are asking us to compromise our relationship with some of the Arab tribes, fa'alna, we would do it. We would do it. And what we can even do is maybe we can kind of keep it on the DL, we can somewhat, you know... Um, play a little bit of a game here, 
We'll get on board with you to some extent, but we won't be fully on board with you because we also got to manage our relationship with the Persians. So how can you work with us here? How can you compromise? The Prophet ﷺ said, مَا أَسَعْتُمْ فِي الرَّدِّ إِذْ أَفْصَحْتُمْ بِالصِّدْقِ وَإِنَّ دِينَ اللَّهِ لَا يَنْصُرَهُ إِلَّا مَنْ حَاطَهُ مِنْ جَمِيعِ جَوَانِبِهِ He says that this is not, you know, uh, uh, an acceptable compromise. It's best for y'all to just be truthful in your dealings. And the Prophet ﷺ said that the deen of Allah is such a thing that if anyone wants to join the cause of the deen of Allah, then that person basically needs to embrace the deen completely and support the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely. أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِلَّمْ تَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا حَتَّى يُوَرِثُكُمُ اللَّهُ أَرْضَهُمْ وَدِيَارَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ He said that what if you were to get on board completely and just wait a little while? It might take some patience in the beginning, but eventually the help of Allah will come to you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you governorship. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you ownership. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you control over the land. And the people that oppose you, you know, their lands will fall to you. But you gotta be patient and you gotta embrace the deen completely. So do you praise and glorify Allah and hold Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be sacred? If you do, then put your faith and your trust in Allah. The fourth leader, Nu'man bin Sharik, he says, Allahumma lakadha. He says that, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do what you're asking for. The Prophet ﷺ recited the ayah then, when hearing that he got kind of excited, that I'm willing to come on board. The Prophet ﷺ recited the ayah, Ya ayyuhan nabiyu, inna arsalnaka shahidan, wa mubashiran, wa nadhiran, wa da'iyan, ilallahi bi'idnihi, wa sirajan muniran. That, O Messenger, O Prophet, Allah is saying, that we have sent you as a witness, as a deliverer of good news, as a warner to people, as a caller to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by His command and His permission, and as an illuminating light and force for mankind and for humanity and the world. Then the Prophet ﷺ got up from there. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that he grabbed my hand and he said, let's go. And he said, oh Abu Bakr, and ya Aba Hassan to Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that this is just a sign of the character that is present. Ayatu akhlaqin fil jahiliyyah. He says, this is just a sign of character in jahiliyyah. They're trying to be polite. They don't want to outright refuse me and reject me. So they're being polite, but they're not really, you know, they have to accept basically. And then the Prophet ﷺ basically goes from there. And some of them, you know, they start to kind of talk amongst each other. And the Prophet ﷺ says, بِهَا يَدْفَعُ اللَّهُ بَعْسَ بَعْضَهُمْ عَنْ بَعْضٍ وَبِهَا يَتَحَاجَزُونَ فِي مَا بَيْنَهُمْ This is basically how they kind of negotiate and how they kind of manage. Somebody plays good cop, somebody plays bad cop, but let's go from here. And then they say that we continue to go and visit people. He says that we went to another group of people who the Prophet ﷺ, he sat down with them, and he met a man by the name of Suwayd bin As-Samit, who, Suwayd bin As-Samit, he listened to the message of the Prophet ﷺ, and he did not reject the message, nor did he embrace the message, but he basically went back to his people, 
and he was killed in some of the later battles. And the Prophet of Allah وسلم, some of the books of Sirah actually relate the fact that he later on accepted Islam and he died in the state of being a Muslim. There's another narration where the Prophet of Allah went and sat down with a people, a tribe named Banu Abdul Ashhal. Banu Abdul Ashhal. And when the Prophet sat with them, one of their one of their leaders he was actually reputed to be somebody who was a Hanif. We talked about this in the beginning of the Sirah sessions. He somebody who rejected shirk even before Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ started talking to him. His name was Iyas bin Mu'adh. And he was a young man. And the Prophet ﷺ talked to him and presented the message of Islam to him as we just heard. He stands up and he says, Ya qawm, hadha wallahi khayrun mimma qadimna ilayh. Oh people, this is the this is better than what we came here to achieve. This man speaks the truth. One of the other people from his tribe, he struck him and he sat him down and he told him to be quiet. And then they basically rejected the message of the Prophet ﷺ and they went back to their people. And again, some of the narrations mentioned that Iyas bin Mu'adh, he quietly and privately accepted Islam before he passed away. But the Prophet ﷺ in this way kept going from people to people to people. And everyone kept rejecting him. One Sahabi who would accept Islam much later on, he says, I was a child and I came with my grandfather to that year at the season of Hajj. And I was standing up on top of a hill watching and I saw that this very, this tall, handsome man who was wearing like a white shawl, he was going from tent to tent, people to people, talking to them. And some of them would push him out, some would curse at him, some would throw dirt at him. And this kept happening until he went through the entire field of Mina, covered all the tents and all the tribes that were there. And when he finally reached the end of the field of Mina, there was a little girl that was standing there waiting for him with a bowl of water. And she was crying, looking at her father. And the Prophet ﷺ walks up to her and he wipes her tears away and he takes the bowl and he washes his hands and his face in that bowl and he consoles a little girl and they walk away from there. And he says, I turned to my grandfather and I said, what is this? And he said, this is Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib. This is a young man from Quraysh who says that he is a prophet and a messenger. And he's presenting this religion to the people. But they all keep rejecting him. And I said, who's that little girl? This beautiful little girl that is crying and you know waiting for him. And he said, that is his daughter Zainab. And the Prophet ﷺ dealt with such difficulty and such harsh refusal at the hands of these people. But it wasn't without some type of payoff. Eventually the narration tells us, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anuma say, ثُمَّ دَفَعْنَا إِلَى مَجْلِسِ الْأَوْسِ وَالْخَزْرَجِ we went to the gatherings of Alaus wal Khazraj. And we sat down and the Prophet ﷺ presented the same message to them. And they were very humble people. Basically, there's to give you a little bit of an idea as to who these people were. The, you know, in the books of history, in the books of Sirah, it talks about these people that these, there were two tribes. The first tribe amongst them was the tribe of Alaus. Alright, the people of Banul Aus. And they were from this small town uh, that was known as Yathrib. Their primary form of trade or their primary means of making a living was that they were a farming people. They grew dates. 
And so it was a small little town, a small little farm town, and they grew dates. They were not very wealthy. In fact, Al-Aus was, you know, this, this place of Yathrib was not like a very favorable destination. People would go there to do business, but people didn't like to live there. They were neighbors with a lot of Jewish tribes, and actually many of them, because of some recent years where there was a drought and there was difficulty, they were in great debt to a lot of the Jewish tribes. But something else notable about these people was that along with being farmers who grew dates, these were people who were very skilled archers and very you know talented fighters. But they were very simple people in this regard, a very village type of people. There was another tribe amongst them and that was Banul Khazraj, the people of Khazraj. They were very similar and both of these tribes of Aus and Khazraj, they, had a, they basically had a joined lineage. They had a joint lineage. They were uh, descendants of the same forefathers. But they had become two tribes and they both lived and existed together there for quite some time. But unfortunately, they had fallen into conflict with one another as well. And that is what led to a lot of them um, being in, um, you know, being in debt was their conflict with one another and they had been at war and had battle with one with one another for quite some time and that had led to them you know being in very very severe debt and dealing with a lot of difficulty and adversity and that financially had led to a lot of woes and a lot of difficulty for them so and it's narrated that there weren't a lot of people who visited from Osun Khazraj that year there were maybe you know um, seven or eight or Ten people who had come that year. And the Prophet ﷺ sat down with them. And the Prophet ﷺ gave them the message of Islam. And real briefly, one thing I'll mention here. I'll talk about this in more detail next week. Exactly what conversation the Prophet ﷺ had with them. When they accepted the message. What conversation did the Prophet ﷺ have with them at that time? How did they accept Islam? What responsibilities did the Prophet ﷺ gone to them? That give to them. That is called Bayatul Aqbatil Ula. That is the first oath of allegiance that was established with the people of Medina. We'll talk about that in more detail next week. That deserves a session in, on its own. But one thing I will mention here is that the narration mentions, فَمَا نَهَضْنَا حَتَّى بَايَعُوا النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ وَكَانُوا صُدُقًا سُبُرًا Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala says one thing about them. We did not leave that gathering until they had given the oath of allegiance to the Prophet And he says they were extremely truthful people and very, very patient people. They were good people. He praises them. But next week, like I mentioned, we'll talk about exactly the conversation that they had and what the Prophet ﷺ discussed with them in that first meeting with them and what exact oath of allegiance was you know, agreed to between them. What I'd like to mention here at the conclusion of t this week's session is something very interesting and very fascinating. And that is to understand really the mindset of these people. This is the best place that I can find to mention this. To understand the mindset of these people and where they were coming from, I'd like to mention something about the virtues of these people. These are virtues that the Prophet ﷺ would mention years later. But it was based upon the initial potential and quality the Prophet ﷺ saw within these people. See, there's one thing that needs to be understood here. These were very simple folk. They were illiterate. They were village people. They were farmers. They were very simple folk. The Prophet ﷺ had gone to Ta'if, the second largest city in Arabia. He had just gotten done having a conversation with Banu Tha'laba. The conversation I was telling you about over a thousand strong, militarily strong, a very proud people. 
And they had all rejected and turned away the Prophet ﷺ. Here he's sitting in a room full of a handful of people who are very simple, illiterate, common, farming, poor people. But the Prophet ﷺ had an unbelievable quality and that was he always saw the potential in people. He always gave people the benefit of the doubt. He was always optimistic and he saw the potential in people. And he made them rise to their potential and even go beyond their potential and exceed expectations of those people. That's something that we need to get back to at a community level for us. Yes, there is a reality. The Prophet ﷺ did target people like Umar ibn Khattab and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Abdurrahman bin Auf and Uthman ibn Affan. He did target people who had a lot of talent and a lot of ability and whose qualities and potential and talent was recognized by the community and they did become a huge asset to Islam. But if we if we think even for a second that a lot of these, you know, Forgive me for the usage of the word, I'm using it from that third-party perspective. Not from our perspective, but from a third-party perspective. That if somebody, you know, thinks for even a second, that these very lowly, you know, uh, meaningless or mundane or mediocre people, were not important to the Prophet ﷺ, they misunderstand. They haven't read the seerah properly. That if they don't see the fact that the Prophet would similarly, more so than he would target talented people, the Prophet sought out the underdogs. The people who had a lot more talent and ability, it just wasn't recognized and realized by their people at that time. And Islam was a means of bringing out the best in people. Was the means of bringing out the best in people. And realizing what people had to offer and bring to the table. And the Prophet ﷺ saw this in the people of Yathrib, the people of Medina, who would eventually be called the Ansar. The Prophet ﷺ saw this potential in them. So before we even talk about the conversation, and how strongly, and how willingly, they accepted the message, and how dedicated and devoted they were to this cause, Let's learn a little bit about their potential and what the Prophet ﷺ saw that the world saw a decade later. The world would realize a decade later who these people were. But the Prophet ﷺ saw it that day when he met with them in the tent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The people who gave shelter to the Prophet ﷺ and helped the religion of Allah, they are the truest of the believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ تَبَوَّأُوا الدَّارَ وَالْإِيمَانَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ They gave, you know, faith and iman a home. They gave faith and iman a home. يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ They love those people who leave their homes and come and join them. وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةً مِمَّا أُوتُوا And they don't find any desire or need to want what other people have. وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا They choose others above themselves. They would help others before helping themselves. Even though their own situation is so dire and so desperate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another place in the Qur'an, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ He mentions them. وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَ الْأَنَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for them lofty gardens in paradise, 
flowing from beneath these gardens. Flowing beneath these gardens are rivers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that is the greatest level of success. And there are multiple narrations. One time Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu was asked, that ara'ayta ism al-ansar kuntum tusammawna bihi am sammakumullah. Somebody asked him that this name of the Ansar, did you call yourselves that or did Allah give you that name? He said, no, بَلْ سَمَّانَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Allah gave us the name of the Ansar. Think about the fact that Allah would bestow the name Ansar, Ansaru Deenillah, Ansaru Rasulillah, Ansarullah. The people who helped the deen, the message, the cause of Allah, the people who helped the messenger of Allah. Such potential these people had. And the Prophet ﷺ saw that, that day. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ says in the narration, إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَدَّنِي بِأَشَدِّ النَّاسِ أَلْسُنًا وَأَذْرُعًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped me with the people who are very strong in their speech and in their feet. Like they're physically strong and they are strong in their convictions. And he said, yeah, they are the two sons of Qayla, which basically refers to the tribes of Alaus wal Khazraj, the people of Medina, the Ansar. In another narration, it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ was sitting one time, and he saw some of the women and the children of the Ansar passing by. The Prophet ﷺ stood up. The Prophet ﷺ stood up, and he says to them, Allahumma antum min ahabbin nasi ilayya. He says, I swear to Allah, Ya Allah, you be my witness. These are the most beloved people in the world to me. I love these people more than anyone else. وَقَالَهَا ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتٍ And he said that three times. اللهم أنتم أحب الناس إليّ اللهم أنتم أحب الناس إليّ In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ swears, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ إِنَّكُمْ أَحَبُّ النَّاسِ إِلَيَّ I swear to Allah, I swear by the one who holds my life in his hand, that you are the most beloved people to me. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ says, in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ says that Al-Ansar, these people of the Ansar, لا يحبهم إلا مؤمنون Anyone who loves them is a believer. Nobody but a believer can love them. ولا يبغضهم إلا منافقون And nobody but a munafiq can hate them. فمن أحبهم أحبه الله Whoever loves the Ansar, Allah loves that person. وَمَنْ أَبْغَضَهُمْ فَقَدَ أَبْغَضَهُ اللَّهِ Whoever hates the Ansar, Allah hates that person. And this is narrated in the uh, many of the books of Sunan. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ says, this is in Bukhari and Muslim, Ayatul Imani Hubbul Ansar. A sign of having Iman is that you love the Ansar. Wa Ayatul Nifaqi Bughdul Ansar. And a sign of hypocrisy, disease, spiritually in your heart, is that you dislike the Ansar. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ one time said that if all of mankind, لو سلك الناس شعبا If all of mankind walked down a path, وسلك الأنصار شعبا But the Ansar walked down another path. لسلكت شعب الأنصار I would walk down the path of the Ansar. I would stick with the Ansar. I would go with my Ansar. The Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and I'll, 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 there are so many narrations here. I'll, men, I'll mention maybe just one more. The Prophet ﷺ, this is very beautiful. The Prophet ﷺ says, لا صلاة لمن لا وضوء له There is no salah for somebody who does not have wudu. And he said, وَلَا وُضُوءَ لِمَنْ لَمْ يَذْكُرِ اسْمَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ There is no wudu for somebody who doesn't say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And then the Prophet says, Somebody who doesn't believe in me doesn't really truly believe in Allah. And somebody really doesn't truly believe in me unless and until that person loves the Ansar. This is the quality of these people. That is the potential the Prophet saw in those very, very simple people that day. Some of the Ansar even talk about their, their virtues, like they were having a discussion. The people of Aw said, Minna Khasilul Malaika. We had a man amongst us who was bathed by the angels. Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Wa minna manihtazalahu arshur Rahman. We had a man that the Arsh of Rahman shook at the passing of that man, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Wa minna manhat manhamathu ad wa minhu um Man ujizat shahadatuhu bi shahadati rajulain. And we had such a man amongst us that the Prophet ﷺ said, his single testimony is equal to the testimony of two people, and that is Khuzayma bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The people of Khazraj said that we had people who learned the entire Quran and preserved the entire Quran and were designated as the most knowledgeable of the Quran by the Prophet ﷺ, Zayd ibn Thabit, Abu Zayd ibn Ansari, Ubayy ibn Ka'ab ibn Mu'adh ibn Jabalin radiallahu ta'ala anhum. We had these huge scholars and these, these are just some of the virtues of the Ansar. As the Prophet I've mentioned this narration multiple times. Man ahabba al-ansar ahabbahullah wa man abghadha al-ansar abghadahullah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those people that love the Ansar. The Prophet wasallam. this is uh, another, there are so many narrations here that are just so beautiful. Um, so this will be one of the last narrations I mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ says, لَوْلَا الْهِجْرَةُ لَكُنْتُ إِمْرَأً مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ The Prophet, لَكُنْتُ إِمْرَأً أَنصَارِيًّا The Prophet ﷺ said that if there was not hijrah, migration for the sake of Allah, I would have been an Ansari man. I would have, I would have wished that I belonged to the people of the Ansar. If there wasn't hijrah, I would have signed up to be one of the Ansar. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ was very sensitive towards the Ansar. He cared about the Ansar. It said that in the, in the last few days of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, when he even lost his strength and the ability in the last day or two, when he couldn't even come out from his hujra, from the room, to be able to come out and lead the people in prayer, Abu Bakr and Abbas anhuma, the uncle of the Prophet and Abu Bakr anhuma, they passed by a gathering of the Ansar who were all sitting and crying. وَهُمْ يَبْكُونَ and they said, What makes you cry? They said, We remember the gatherings that we used to have with the Prophet We miss sitting with the Messenger of God The Prophet heard this, and he came out from his room, just because of them. He came out from his room, and the Prophet went and sat down on the member and the narration says, وَقَدْ عَصَبَ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِهِ the Prophet ﷺ was wearing a shawl and he had taken it and wrapped it around his head and his face. Because he was, had such a fever. And he was so um, ill and sick at that point, he could barely walk. He very slowly walked over to the minbar. And he sat down and he was completely wrapped up in his shawl. And the Prophet ﷺ, فصاعد المنبر, he sat in the minbar, وَلَمْ يَسْعَدْهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ And he never sat on that minbar ever again after that moment. And فحمد الله وأثنى عليه. He praised Allah and he glorified Allah subhanahu wa taala. And then he said, أُوصيكم بالأنصار. He said, take care of my Ansar. 
Take care of my Ansar after I'm gone. And the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِنَّهُمْ كَرِشِي وَعِبَتِي Which basically an expression in Arabic that means they're my weak spot. The Ansar or my soft spot. My weakness is my Ansar. I care too much about my Ansar. And he says that, he even tells them at that, he says, وَقَدْ قَضَوْا الَّذِينَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَبَقِيَ الَّذِينَ لَهُمْ فَاقْبَلُوا مِن مُحْسِنِهِمْ وَتَجَاوَزُوا عَنْ مُسِئِهِمْ Those who have passed away have passed away, and those who are left, embrace them and accept them. Those who are left are left, and he said that if somebody from them does, does good, accept that from them. But if some, one of them messes up or does something wrong, forgive them. But be gentle and be careful with my ansar. And the Prophet ﷺ even told them one time, إِنَّكُمْ سَتَلْقَوْنَ بَعْدِي أَثْرَةً He said, people will not appreciate you after I'm gone. People will not appreciate you after I'm gone. You'll see that people will not treat you as you deserve to be treated. فَاصْبِرُوا حَتَّى تَلْقَوْنِي عَلَى الْحَوْضِ He said, but be patient, I'll be waiting at the hawd, at the fountain of Kawthar for you. My ansar, I'll wait for you. And he, his wasiyah to his ummah was take care of my ansar. And this is a hadith of Bukhari Muslim, Rawahu Shaykhan. So these are the people that we're talking about, the ansar. These are the ansar. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ala inna li kulli nabiyin tarika wadi'a wa inna tarikati wa wadi'ati al ansar fahfaduni fihim. The Prophet ﷺ said, Every Prophet leaves something behind. An amana and a trust behind. My amana and trust that I leave with you are my ansar. Please take care of them for me. Take care of them for me. That's the potential the Prophet ﷺ saw on that day in the simple, illiterate farmers, poor farmers that came and sat with the Prophet ﷺ and listened to him that day. And inshallah, we'll talk about the bay'ah We'll talk about that inshallah next week. But in the meantime, one of the lessons I want us to definitely understand and I want us to embrace and realize is that we definitely, we, we're not prejudiced against anyone, talented or untalented, rich or poor. But at the same time understand that sometimes, just because of our own human nature, our own challenges, the difficulties we are facing in our cause, in our endeavor, we might want to go to people who, have, who we can see the world sees that they have a lot to offer. And they might turn us down. But then somebody very humble, again, in the eyes of people, not in our, not, we're not saying this, but in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the people, they might seem very lowly, very humble. They might not have a lot to offer. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows their potential. And part of learning the seerah, the life of the Prophet ﷺ is being able to develop that ability to see the potential in, within people, to see what they have to offer, and to embrace people and accept people, and utilize those people for the sake of the deen of Allah ﷻ. Because you never know what those people have to offer. They might turn out to be the most beneficial and instrumental people. Their potential might supersede and out overcome and outgrow you know, our expectations, more than we could ever imagine. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayki.